0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. The reading today is Psalm 84, verses 5 through 12. <clears throat> Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till, <clears throat> till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on your shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is God's word. Please be seated.
1: Now, with uh, the start of a ministry year, we're also starting a new sermon series. And we typically go through books of the Bible, but we also do some topical or thematic sermons uh, and sermon series. And that's what we're up to uh, for the next 10 weeks. That will get us close to Thanksgiving. Uh, Maureen highlighted that the theme for this ministry year is the, the theology of delight, delighted in God and God's delight in us, and all the delightful things that God calls us to in terms of his mission in the world and fellowship in the church. And so I wanted to pick a sermon series that highlighted that in a way that was uh, both stringing together a bunch of themes in scripture, but also really shining a light on the countercultural calling of the of the cross to delight in this good life and so the sermon series is called blessed delighting in the good life. And over the next 10 weeks, we will consider different ways that the Scriptures highlight what the good life is. And blessed, uh, or blessing from God, is one of the ways the Scriptures talk about what the good life is. You think about the Beatitudes, blessed is the one. Uh, That's what it's saying. It's describing in Christ what the good life is. And here are some of the uh, different themes that we are going to consider over the next 10 weeks. I want to read them to you. Then we'll pray and get into today's sermon. The first one today is blessed are those who long for home. where We will consider finding rest in God while in exile in this exhausting world. Week two, blessed are those who belong, where we'll discover freedom and commitment and identity and truth. Blessed are those who have many friends. And we're going to consider how the scriptures call us to invest in meaningful friendship in an isolated world. Week four, blessed are those who are hopeful romantics, embracing hope when sex and romance are put in its proper place. Week five, blessed are those with a faithful household where we'll consider how to build a household of faith when the next generation is deconstructing. Week six, blessed are those who unplug, mastering technology rather than being mastered by it. Week seven, blessed are those who work and rest, working hard and playing hard without overworking and burning out. Week 8, blessed are those who are generous, laying up treasures when we serve God and not mammon. Week 9, blessed are those who plant a garden, the acts of doing justice by creating beauty rather than division and diversion. And the week 10, the final week, blessed are those who mourn, Remaining steadfast in trials until the day of comfort. So those are the different topics and themes that we are going to be covering over the next 10 weeks. Uh, Blessed are those who long from home is a uh, way to set up the entire series. So before we do that, let's pray and get into it. Let's pray. Lord God, you do offer us the good life in your son, Jesus Christ. And call us to that good life by the power of your spirit. So that spirit is at work today and it's work, at work in this place. And at work in the hearts that are here. You've gathered him, them here to be in this space, to hear your word, and to reflect on your provision of blessing in Christ. Help us to see that. Help us to see it, especially in light of what this world offers us as the good life, so that we can resist, Lord, and stay on the path to which you have called us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, to be one who is blessed is to be a person who is happy. A blessed person is a happy person. But that is not a word I would use to describe our current world, our current historical moment. If there is one word that describes the human heart in the present day, It is this word, restless. We are a restless people in a restless society. Today, it is common for us and our neighbors to be in a desperate search for fulfillment, for identity, and for joy. Since this search often comes up short, then we are left unsatisfied, anxious, and still striving after those things. On the one hand, this restlessness seems really odd if you think about what's going on in our current world. We are enjoying some of the best days in human history by some measures. Globally, extreme extreme poverty and child mortality is decreasing. Education and literacy is increasing. Today, we have access to remarkable health treatments through antibiotics and vaccines and cancer treatment. Technology has increased the quality of life, which many of us take for granted every time a machine does our dishes or, or washes our clothes. And one thing I know this church doesn't take for granted is the technology of AC every time you show up in this sauna that doesn't have one called a sanctuary uh, during our summer days. But by many metrics, we're doing so much better. Externally, we seem to be doing so well, but internally... Not so much. Rates of depression, anxiety, and loneliness are increasing, especially generationally. The younger the generation, the more pronounced these internal struggles. And although these things can be more pronounced with younger generation, it's common across all generations to feel isolated from others, to be less satisfied with life, and unhappy with self. What's going on? but that we have all these things to be enjoying externally, but internally, we seem to be falling apart. There are many different explanations and angles to that question. Some could say it's the pandemic or social media or political division that can explain some of these things. Others may point to the decline among those participating in organized religion. And there is probably something to each of these things, and we'll touch on each of those topics throughout the sermon series, but I want to start with a different perspective. I think the most popular religion of this day is failing us to reach our historical and challenging moment. It's not helping us to deal with the current difficulties, and that religion is also causing some of these difficulties as well. It may seem odd to say religion is on the decline, but our most popular religion is failing us, Uh, but that's because the most prominent religion is often not seen as being religious. But if you broaden the definition of religion to a belief from a belief in God to rather a broader set of beliefs that gives us a framework for life which leads to where we put our energies, how we organize our world and our relationships, then I would say Secularism is by far the most dominant religion in our day. Author David Zoll coined the term secularosity, which is the title of his book, to show the religious nature of secularism. I often use the term secular fundamentalism to describe secularism as a religion. Let me share a story as to why. As a pastor, I often hear about people coming from church backgrounds that are from religious fundamentalist backgrounds. They experience strict rules, not only about what you do, but what you say. The culture of these religious communities emphasize obedience to these rules and point fingers at those outside, those people who don't follow these things. And the moment, if you're in these communities, you ask a question that reveals some type of internal struggle with the status quo, you say the wrong thing or you do the wrong thing, You don't get a response that's balanced with grace and truth, but you're pushed to the door and excommunicated from the community. Now, when I hear these stories, it's hard for me to relate to it. I grew up in a mainline, denominational setting, and all my experiences with evangelical churches hasn't been perfect, but healthy. But I still sympathize with these stories, but for a different reason. The culture of these fundamentalist churches remind me of many settings that I experience in our secular world. Our secular world, too, has things you cannot say or do, with an emphasis on strict obedience to these new and ever-changing norms. If you ask questions where you struggle with the status quo or you say or do the wrong thing, then you might not be excommunicated like you are in a family of faith, but you may be canceled. Secularism is a religion. Our secular world has a religious impulse just like any faith community. It has a framework of life that finds freedom by remaining uncommitted, identity through individualized emotions, and the pinnacle of connectedness through romance and sex, just to name some things. My point in this example is not to create some great divide between sacred and secular. My point is actually the opposite. Secular people are more religious than you think, and also, if you're a religious person, you are more influenced by secularism than you realize. Because even if you're a Christian, you're swimming in the waters of this faith of secularism and influenced by it more than you think. So that's the setup to the sermon series. There are many different topics, as I already highlighted, such as friendship, technology, and justice, to name a few that we'll consider. Each week we'll consider the secular framework of the good life that's presented in these topics and show how it's at odds with the blessed life that scripture offers us. This sermon is mainly going to ask, how do we even start stepping in the right direction? If this way of life influenced by this religion of secularism is causing restlessness, then how can we find rest? To answer that question, we'll consider a theology from Christian scriptures that that takes us to a destination of peace and rest and joy. It's a framework for finding where our true home is. So let's set up a framework that helps us view life as a road trip, and then we'll turn to Psalm 84 to direct us towards home. This experience of restlessness is also experienced by one of the most important theologians outside of Scripture, St. Augustine. He was a North African bishop from the 4th to 5th century. There's this book I'm reading that's influencing the sermon series by James K.A. Smith. He wrote a book called On the Road with St. Augustine, which highlights Augustine's experience with the framework of life being one of a road trip. Think about life like a road trip right now. We're traveling, and we're stopping at various destinations, yet on this road trip, we keep arriving at destinations that we try to make into our home, but they're not our home. This is something that happens to me when I go on road trips too. Have you ever been on a road trip, you ever been to a vacation, you went to a destination, a city, and you're just like, this place is amazing. I wonder what it would be like to live here. And all of a sudden, you're dreaming about that. You're looking at Zillow to see if you can afford home prices. You're dreaming about what it would like to be working here and going to the parks there and eating at the amazing restaurants that seem to be better than the place you're coming from. You're just dreaming. This happens all the time for me. So much it annoys my wife that it happens so much. I wonder what it would be like to start a church here in this city. Maybe we can move here. Check it out and you start dreaming what life is like in Stillwater, or Duluth, or Seattle, or Chicago, or Manhattan. You'll notice none of my dreaming takes place in the woods. It's all cities for me, right? You're dreaming. You're dreaming about all these places, all these great places, but never Nebraska, the good places that you like to visit, and you would love to dwell in. I'll circle back to that, don't worry. I got good things to say about (laughs) Nebraska a little bit later. A restless road trip, is one where we treat destinations on the road like they're our home. You're just visiting these places, but you start dreaming, maybe I should make this my home. And maybe you try. But home is always the ultimate destination back from the road, where you belong and where you find rest and peace. Tourist cities are not your hometown. Airbnbs are not your house. And rest stops are not your bathrooms, but we often start treating things in life that are temporary stops on the way to home as if they are home. And so, too, this happens in our restless society. We don't know where home is, so we treat things like home, even though they are insufficient to satisfy what we're looking for. Just as a road trip can be full of good things that are not home, so, too, our life is full of good things that will not ultimately satisfy your deepest longings that are causing the restlessness. But we try to satisfy them in things like friendship, and money, and work, and recreation, education, a spouse, sex, a political cause. Yet when that thing or that person no longer does it for us, then we travel down the road to the next thing and the next destination, thinking that finally this will be the thing that is going to give me ultimate joy. This is finally the rest that I'm looking for. Our problem in our current culture is that we don't know what we're looking for, or what we want, or how to find it. So we keep looking, we keep trying, we keep searching. And each time we get our hopes up that this is it, then our expectations are crushed like a Minnesotan looking towards summer only to get smoke from Canada in your nose the whole time, right? Just dashed expectations that finally we get to enjoy the good life, and it doesn't fulfill. Our secular world convinces people that this is all that there is. The road is life rather than the route that leads to life. And because that's the message, we remain restless. So we should be asking, where is home? Let's turn to Psalm 84 to find it. Psalm 84, 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. There's that word blessed, which is used throughout the scriptures to mean one who is happy or joyous. The person has received blessings, which are desirable and delightful things that lead to a good life. You probably know the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount that leads uh, the whole sermon with these different blessings in the Gospel of Matthew, and some of those blessings are ones that you get now, and some of them are in the future. Attention, that's important to keep in mind throughout this series because there's a sense we are blessed with the good life now as Christians, but more blessings are to come. Here, the blessed one is those who have strength in God, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. These phrases belong together because the verses before that, for example, verses 1 through 2, say, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. The emphasis here is not simply on a religious structure or building, the person who dwells in that place, God lives there. That is what the person's soul is yearning and feigning for, to be in the house where God dwells. So this psalm is saying to make your home in God's presence is the good life. Not to simply make it a vacation destination or a place to visit, but your home. That when you think about your home, and, and maybe even if you broke up in, uh, grew up in a place that you wouldn't say is, is a home, but you can still picture a place, any, any place, any experience that you go to for rest and fellowship, where you invest your resources and your time. It's a place of both solitude and silence, but also a place where parties and celebrations happen. We know what it means to make a place a home rather than an Airbnb, and that is the calling of the Christian life. Make your home in the presence of God. And this is why. Look at verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. How much better is God's presence in place than anything else? One day, the psalmist sings, spent there is better than a thousand elsewhere. I've done this before, but imagine your best day in your favorite place, best meals, best company in your favorite location, an ocean beach, shoreline of a great lake, your favorite city, or maybe it's just your bed. That's your favorite place in the whole world. Just go to your bed, to rest and to sleep, whatever it is, whatever you say, I long for that place. What the psalmist is saying is that one day in God's presence is better than 1,000 days in your favorite place on your favorite days. That's what the point is. And the psalmist goes on to reflect on what the best is that the wicked have to offer, the world has to offer, the paths that take you away from the Lord and this home of faith. Even if they offer you, the psalmist says, the closest and best accommodations— You want to go into the tent and even dwell there with them, it's not going to be as good as even a person who opens the door into God's place. When I preached on this before, this is the other way I said it, is that to be a valet at God's restaurant is better than eating with a high-end establishment of the wicked. Nothing in this world, nothing that this world even has to offer is going to be better than making your home with God. And so we go back to verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. The blessed person is the one who is on the pilgrimage to this house. A pilgrimage is a religious road trip, think about it that way, to a holy place. And this trip is a bigger commitment than what you experienced this morning when you traveled five blocks or five miles to get here. A pilgrimage is multiple days to get to this desired destination. Hours and hours on the road, overnights into many different towns. And so the good life is a heart committed to that journey to God's house. The place where God resides is our real home, where we can rest forever in God's presence, where God says, welcome You belong here. This is one way to think about what Christians call conversion. It's when someone who doesn't know where home is, hears the good news that God is our true and better home, and then turns and sets their heart towards that destination. But here's the reality. When you do that, life does not necessarily get easier. Look at verses 6 through 9 in this psalm. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Especially that verse, first verse, it's, it's got this reference, the Valley of Baca. We're not exactly sure what that reference is, but the common understanding is that it's a dry place, like a desert that somebody's traveling through. It's a difficult place to journey through because there's little water and little places to rest. And God, even when you set your heart towards your home in God, you are still traveling through that difficult world. This is an important point. Because embracing God as your true home doesn't mean your journey is no longer difficult. It still very much is difficult. You'll still face the same things on this journey that anyone else does. And not only do you still face these things in this life, but you will now have extra challenges if you devote yourself to the Christian life. Let me give you three uh, examples that Smith gives in his book on Augustine. Number one. When you turn to the Lord as your home, you now have conviction, conviction that now when you try to make stops along the ways, these stops are not your home. And now you develop resistance to making them your home. Conviction and resistance to this world is not easy. It's easier to go with the flow, but when you know the flow is leading you away from God and you turn the other direction, now you have resistance and that's going to be difficult. A second way that is still as difficult for the Christian faith. You may no longer have restlessness because now you have found your home in God, but now restlessness is replaced with longing. You now know this world isn't your true home. So just like when you grow tired of a road trip, even though you may have visited a great destination, all you want to be is home. And that is the longing of the Christian heart. And finally, now Christians are now considered throughout Scripture exiles. Or other ways to think about it, we're refugees, we're expats, we're missionary kids. All different ways of getting at the same theological idea. We are, in a sense, in this world and part of it, but we know it's not our home, so we don't ultimately belong to it. Uh, Think about a missionary kid. This is a very vivid experience for somebody that's growing up in this setting. Let's say you were born in Minnesota, but at a young age, your parents get the call in to go elsewhere, and they travel to a country like Turkey. And they're in Turkey, and you grow up there. Your childhood years, your high school years, it's all you even know. You don't even remember being born in America. But then, from that perspective, that culture's perspective, you're American even though you don't feel like it, because this is the only place you've ever known. And let us say you get kind of burnt from that situation, so you're like, you know what, I'm gonna go back to Minnesota where I was born in. Let's see how I'm gonna to go to college there. Let's see if that feels any better. But now this place is weird too. You didn't grow up here, you grew up in a different country, right? And so now Now, now Americans might think that you're from a different place, even though you are born there because you were raised somewhere else, and you have this tension of like, where do I actually belong? Because no matter where I go, it doesn't feel like home, and people think that I'm strange. That's how the Christian life should feel. In the Christian life, we're all exiles. We're all refugees. We're all expats. We're all missionary kids in that sense because we belong somewhere else. That's why no place will ultimately feel like home and we're always going to come off as a little strange to the people around us. So the good life before we reach home is not going to be easy. But it does mean the journey is better because you know where home is. That's what Psalm 84, 6-9 is saying. Even though you walk through the dry land, Verse 6 says, it's like a place of springs. Because we have set our journey to the house of the Lord, we have strength to succeed now in reaching that destination. And that's the news that you really need to hear. If you hear this message and you're like, I do want home, well, the reality check is that Scripture gives us is you can't get there on your own strength. It's way too hard and you, your own strength is insufficient to get you there. You need help. And both the psalm says that God must become your strength to get to him. And also the New Testament gives us the good news that God does send us help to make it home. St. Augustine said it this way, quote, So that we might also have the means to go, the one we were longing to go to came here from there. And what did he make? A wooden raft for us to cross the sea on. For no one can cross the sea of this world unless carried over it on the cross of Christ. To become a Christian is one who knows that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is a way home. And not only is there a way home, but we have access to strength and the very presence to get us To home, especially through the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul prays in Ephesians 3. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Jesus, where the fullness of God dwells bodily, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And he poured out his promised spirit onto the church. And in this sense, God's presence is the strength that we are given through Christ so that we can make our home in his presence forever. If you're searching for God, Jesus said, find it in me and I will take you home. This will transform your experience of this world. It will cause you to go from a restless heart to one that longs for this, and it will cause you to look at the destinations of this world, as nice as they can be, with a little suspicion. This is where I'm going to get back to Nebraska and be nicer to that country. Or that country. That's, it's kind of a different country for me. <laughs> it really does feel like a different country to me. I've been there a couple of times. Nebraska has the best tourism line ever. Do you know what it is? You ever ever go to the tourism site, and this is what you're going to see, Nebraska, and it's going to have this tagline underneath it. Honestly, it's not for everyone. (laughs) That's the most honest way to describe tourism in that state. It's like I said, I struggle to even call it a state. It's like a different country to me, right? I've been there, and it's not for everyone. It really isn't, right? It's just like, meh, I don't know. There's so many other places you'd rather be. I think this is what the gospel does to how we look at this world, how we look at this life, how we look at even friendships and finding, trying to find romantic connection and trying to to make our place here. It's like, that's not for everyone. It's all right. I mean, I didn't have anything else to do, all right? Like, I had to stay there because I was on the way to the mountains, whatever it is, right? And when you have that framework, that's where Nebraska also has these signs that greet you when you're on your way in. Nebraska, the good life. And it only really is the good life, because that sign looks ridiculous if you're comparing it maybe to the mountains of Colorado or the North Shore of Minnesota. But when you say, ah, it's not for everyone, then it isn't so bad. And that's what the gospel does. When you figure out where your home is, you look at this world and say, ah, it's all right. And because you do that, that's how you experience the good life now, knowing the better life in God's presence forever is to come. That's why Augustine says, quote, God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds rest in you. When you find God in Christ, our hearts are no longer restless. God's Spirit is in us, and now we have a compass towards home. We exchange this restless heart for one that knows where home is and longs for it. Blessed are those who long for home. They have discovered the good life.